We read from the Holy Scriptures this morning from the first epistle of John, chapter 2. First John, chapter 2. We read this chapter in connection with the instruction of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 12, question and answer 32, concerning why we are called Christians. I would call your attention especially to verses 20 and 27 of this chapter, which speak of the unction from the Holy One, the anointing, which we've received of him. We hear the word of God in 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. 
but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Thus far we read from God's infallibly inspired word. As I said, I would call your attention especially to verses 20 and 27. 20 and 27. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. The basis of this passage and all of Holy Scripture We have the instruction of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 12, question and answer 32, found on page 8 in the back of our Psalter. Question 32, but why art thou called a Christian? Because I am a member of Christ by faith, and thus am partaker of his anointing, that so I may confess his name and present myself a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him, and also that with a free and good conscience I may fight against sin and Satan in this life, and afterwards reign with him eternally over all creatures. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we've seen in the previous question and answer, the name Christ means anointed. It is not his personal name, but his title. Now we see that by his grace, they too that believe by a true and living faith upon his name are partakers of his anointing. The name Christ signified that 
He is God's servant, God's office bearer, par excellence, that is, in the highest possible sense. And through his name, we too are servants in Father's house. Believers today, going back to the times of the early church, are called Christians. We speak of the Christian religion, the Christian faith. One is often called a Christian simply because he or she is born in the church visible in this world or gathered into a group of believers and their children. But it follows that not all who call themselves Christian are Christian. There are no doubt thousands upon thousands that are Christians only nominally. They have no personal part in the spiritual reality denoted by that name. And so question 32 becomes very significant and very personal. Why art thou called a Christian? Merely because you happen to belong, fit in with that group of people that years ago was called by that name and ever since has been known by it in distinction from the heathen, the unbelieving, Or does that name in its true spiritual significance apply to you personally? Heidelberg Catechism answers so beautifully, because I am a member of Christ by faith and thus am partaker of his anointing. We must share in his anointing by faith and through his grace. We must abide in him and he in us. He works that faith in us whereby we are united with him and appropriate him judicially. His office and work are the basis of our right to be office bearers in the office of believer, servants of the living God. Only in him are we ordained and qualified to function as servants of the Most High God. So scripture says, as we read from 1 John 2, verse 20, that we have the unction of the Holy One, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We are taught of him the truth. We abide forever in him. That's what it means to be a member of Christ by faith. In the light of the context here in 1 John chapter 2, it means that as the anointed ones, we love one another and we hate the world. We strive to do the will of our Father and abide forever. According to the Catechism, we together confess the name of Christ. We present ourselves living sacrifices of thankfulness 
We fight against sin and Satan with a free and good conscience in this life and afterward reign with Christ eternally over all creatures. What a glorious privilege that is to be reckoned as a member of Christ. We are immediately reminded of the fact that we would have no right to such a grand privilege if it were not for the sovereignly free election that makes us a separate people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. God has given us to Christ in order that by his atoning blood of the cross, we might be brought into the family and household of God as heirs of eternal life. God has raised up Christ and exalted him to his own right hand in majesty in order that Christ may bless us with every spiritual blessing unto everlasting glory. Christ unites us unto himself by a bond of living faith whereby we become partakers of his blessings and whereby we may realize and confess in deepest humility I belong, I belong unto my faithful Savior. Or as the Apostle Paul expresses it triumphantly, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I am a member of Christ and a partaker of his anointing. Within the fellowship of the church, as a member of the church, I receive the privilege of sharing in Christ's anointing Understand that it's never apart from the church and the ministry of the word and the sacraments that that privilege is granted. In the old dispensation, a few men were called from among the people to serve in a special office, either as prophet or priest or king. In the new dispensation, we are all ordained, called, qualified by the Spirit of Christ to the office of believer. We are steward in God's house, called to labor while it is yet day, to give account of our stewardship in the final judgment. Every member of the body of Christ is therefore an active, living member, functioning, by faith, out of the head, Jesus Christ. Everybody is somebody with individual gifts and talents, an individual place and calling to serve in his or her capacity in that body as only he or she can serve. And it's in this light that we consider This morning, question and answer 32 under the theme, called a Christian. And we notice, first of all, that it's a very beautiful name. Secondly, our threefold office. And finally, a fruitful service. The name Christian is found three times in the Bible. Strikingly, Scripture never addresses children of God as Christians. You may recall that we find the first instance 
where that name is used in the book of Acts. In chapter 11, verse 26, believers in the city of Antioch were first called Christians. The name did not originate evidently with the believers there. It wasn't that they initially called themselves Christians, but rather scripture indicates that it was the heathen population or perhaps more likely the unbelieving Jews that called them that. The unbelievers used the name to refer to the saints in their everyday conversations. The name Christian meant any adherent to Christ whom the apostles preached and believers followed as their Lord and Savior. So it would seem that the name Christian was first used in a negative sense, a derogatory sense, to refer to the members of that supposedly fanatic sect that followed Jesus. So we find it used by King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, verse 28, after the Apostle Paul's passionate defense of the Christian faith King Agrippa mockingly replied, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost, Paul, but I'm not that crazy. The name was used by unbelievers as a name of reproach, to scorn the believer. That's clear from Peter's use of the name in 1 Peter 4, verse 16. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but rather glorify God in this behalf. Verse 14 of that same chapter tells us that to suffer as a Christian was to be reproached for the name of Christ. This means that we cannot consider the question why we are called Christians in the same sense as the question concerning the names of the Savior, why is the Son of God called Jesus? Because God, not Joseph or Mary, called him that. Because he saves us from our sins. Why is Jesus called Christ? because he is ordained of God and qualified to be our prophet, priest, and king. These names Jesus and Christ are directly given by God. That's not the case for us with the name Christian. Scripture addresses us as believers, as saints, servants of God, brethren and sisters, sheep, many, many more, but not Christian. That doesn't mean, however, that we should abandon that name, not at all. The believers themselves in the early church quickly adopted that name. They saw that it was very proper, very fitting, very beautiful. They could not have adopted properly the name Jesus the Savior's personal name. Only Christ is Jehovah's salvation. 
But the name Christian very fittingly designates believers in distinction from the world of unbelief. The name Christ means anointed. And since we, through the work of the Spirit, are partakers of his anointing, this is a fitting name, a beautiful name. And we should understand that there is a very special significance attached to this name, Christian. Yes, on the surface, we're called Christians because initially the unbelievers of Antioch called the early saints there by that name. And so it's carried on through history. Or as we suggested, we may be called Christians simply because we're born into the church in the midst of this world and belong outwardly to the visible church. In that sense, many people go under the name Christian. What's truly implied in the name doesn't really apply to them. Certainly in For many years already, one doesn't need to be a Christian to be called by that name. For many, Christian is nothing more than a label. If you're not a pagan or an atheist or a follower of one of the other world religions or some cult, you would likely consider yourself a Christian. And up until recent years, it was considered a good and a socially proper and acceptable thing to belong to some church, really matter which church. Increasingly, in our own land, we see church membership and church attendance on a steady decline. But many who have church membership take it very lightly there's no real commitment they live and do as they please as long as their name is upon a membership role and perhaps they attend an occasional service perhaps just on holidays like Easter or Christmas they consider themselves Christians It doesn't really make a difference or affect anything at their home or on the job or in their recreation. God forbid that we would take that name Christian lightly. Do you have the right to be called a Christian? Does that name apply to you in its rich spiritual significance? Are you called a Christian because you really are a Christian? It's a real question, a very personal question, an unavoidable question. We must face it and answer it. The genuine Christian answers. We answer by grace because I am a member of Christ by faith and thus am partaker of his anointing. The idea is that we belong completely, body and soul, for time and eternity, to 
our Lord Jesus Christ, members of Christ by faith, so that we are one with him. As we read from 1 John 2, verse 20, we have the unction of the Holy One. And in verse 27, that unction is called the anointing of the Holy One. Beautiful truth. That term unction refers to the ointment used in anointing. It was prepared by the Jews from oil and very fragrant herbs. The verb from which it is derived means to anoint. And you have the same word used in verse 27 where it's translated anointing. I am a Christian. When I share in Christ's anointing, in utter dependence upon him by faith and through his grace, That dependency is implied in the very name Christian. I am not another Christ, certainly not, but a Christian. He is the head. I am but member of his body, and as the member is nothing apart from the head, Or as the branch is nothing apart from the vine, so I am nothing apart from Christ. The anointing is always his, and I partake of it. And so to be a Christian, therefore, I must abide in him. As that's also set forth so beautifully in the gospel according to John chapter 15. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. The spiritual reality, therefore, of our Partaking of Christ's anointing is the fruit of Christ imparting himself to us through his spirit and of our partaking of him, appropriating him by faith, our drawing out of him even grace for grace. Christ, the anointed of God who was obedient unto death and merited for us an eternal righteousness, was raised on the third day to glory, who ascended up on high, leading captivity captive, exalted at the right hand of the Father, received the promise of the Holy Spirit, and in that spirit returned unto his own, that he might impart himself to them and fill us with his blessings. And so we receive his anointing through the means of faith, which is his gift, which he works in us, and whereby we are united with him and appropriate him. We recall that Christ's anointing signifies that he was ordained from eternity by God the Father, qualified by the Holy Ghost to be God's office bearer, the servant of Jehovah, 
representing his cause in the midst of this world, that he might reveal unto us the full counsel of God concerning our salvation, fight the battle against sin and death, and having overcome all the powers of darkness, might occupy his place as the firstborn of every creature in all the universe. That exalted position according to which he has a name which is above every name and is king over all, he now occupies. He is made Lord and Christ. Of his anointing we partake. And that means, therefore, that through him, believers too are ordained and qualified by his spirit to be office bearers, servants of the living God. It means that in Christ they have the privilege and the calling, the will and the power to be and to function in this world and forever as God's friend servants. By nature, we have none of this. The must is indeed upon all God will not relinquish his demand upon man that he love him with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. But by his willful disobedience, man has lost the right and the privilege as well as the will and the power and all the qualifications to be the servant of God. Christ, however, as the servant of God in the highest sense, that too as the head of those whom the Father gave him by his perfect obedience, even unto the death of the cross, blotted out all our sins, obtained for us perfect righteousness, and thus merited for his people the right to be received again in God's service. To partake of Christ's anointing, therefore, means that in him we once more have the right to stand as servants in the house of God. In him is our ordination as God's office bearers, representatives of his cause. But even more, that we by faith partake of Christ's anointing also implies that in him and through him we are qualified to function as servants of the Most High. The will and the power to fulfill our calling as Jehovah's servants. We also receive from him by his spirit, through the activity of a true and living faith. Christ not only took our place as the servant of Jehovah, fulfilling all in our stead, but he also delivers us from the slavery of sin and Satan and renews us as willing servants of our God. So it is that our calling as Christians is also threefold. We receive a threefold office, a reflection of that threefold office of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. We have a calling as prophets. Yes, Christ is our chief prophet. He is the fullness of all the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Christ is the revelation of God, the word eternally with God, 
and who is God, who continues to speak to us through his word. As our chief prophet, Christ fills us with the knowledge of God. Christ changes our natural darkness into light and makes us the prophets of God by instructing us through the Spirit and Word as members of Him by faith, partakers of His anointing. We, beloved, are prophets. Prophets of God. Our calling is plain. We are to confess the name of Christ. We confess the name of Christ in word and in deed everywhere. As the anointed ones, we are empowered to know all things and to speak the truth. In the context of 1 John chapter 2, this means that we are not of the Antichrist. We are not liars who deny the Father and the Son as God's prophets anointed of the Spirit We acknowledge the Son and the Father. We are made witnesses of Christ. We confess that Jesus is the Christ, our Christ, our Lord, our Savior. That's what the Christian is called to confess in all of his life. Is that your confession? All God's people. Have this anointing. It's not just for a select privileged few, perhaps some extra pious or holy ones who have some special anointing of the Spirit whereby they may perform extraordinary signs and wonders, perhaps speaking in unintelligible tongues. Oh no. God's children, the members of Christ, have the unction, the anointing of Christ. They're prophets who know the word of God and speak it, filled with the word. We overflow with the praises of God, confessing the name of Christ, speaking the truth, condemning the lie always and everywhere as church and as individual Christians. So too, Christ is our great high priest who laid down his life for us, made atonement for all our sin, prays constantly before the throne of God on our behalf, fills us with the blessings of his salvation. By his anointing, we are priests. And we present ourselves as living sacrifices of thankfulness unto him. Notice we do not present some things or even many things, not things at all, but ourselves as living sacrifices. In Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. As priests, we consecrate ourselves in the Lord's service in all of our life. At home, in our studies, in school, in our work, in our recreation. It means that we live in the love of God 
as revealed to our brothers. That's the law of gratitude. As we read of that in 1 John 2, walking in the light as God's priest means loving the brother. He that hates his brother stumbles around in darkness, the darkness of sin and death. As our priest, Christ laid down his life for us. 1 John 3 verse 16 says we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We love as priests our fellow saints in the love of God, not in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. Galatians 5 shows us that truth. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and the law is that we love the neighbor. Hear and do this word as God's priests who are anointed of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Disobedience means that we would bite and devour one another and are consumed one of another. This, beloved, is what obedience is all about. This is the end of wicked gossip and malicious slander and backbiting and evil speaking. This is why we are called Christians. According to John 13, washing the feet of his disciples on the eve of the cross, Jesus, our great high priest, said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Living in that love of God as his anointed priests, we love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Oh no, as Christians, we hate the world. We love God. And you understand it cannot be both. This is the antithesis here. Either or, we do the will of God as his priests. We abide in Christ and continue in him as those filled with the love of the Father who strive to do his will. And beloved, finally, Christ is our king. He governs or rules us in gracious love, causes everything to be for our salvation and good. Christ makes us kings too by the anointing of his spirit. The calling is very simple. In one word, fight, fight. Christians are not weak or passive. We are fighters spiritually. We fight equipped with the whole armor of God and wielding the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We fight against the lie fight against false doctrine. We fight against sin within ourselves and the temptations which assault us from the outside. We teach our children to be fighters in this regard against the very appearance of evil. Let us then fight as soldiers of the cross more than conquerors in Christ who is the king 
and who has defeated and destroyed the power of sin and the devil through his cross. We are subjects of Christ who is raised far above all things and who causes all things to work for the coming of the kingdom where we will reign with him eternally over all things to the glory of our God. So it is that through the Spirit of Christ, we more and more manifest a fruitful service. Being united to our faithful Savior by that bond of a true and living faith, we bring forth fruit. Faith in Christ produces fruit. Fruit given is that as Christians, we more and more avoid sin, follow after righteousness. Though we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, ourselves born dead in sin, Christians have the life of Christ in them. That life which is holy and heavenly through the power of grace, the believer more and more mortifies the old man of sin, crucifying his flesh, and he lives out of the new man in Christ. Sanctification is evident in the lives of Christians. It's an abomination to God that a congregation confesses the truth but lives or tolerates iniquity, fleeing from sin, Living in obedience are marks of the one who is united to Christ by faith. In addition, Christians demonstrate the power of faith that works by love. By the power of God's love shed abroad into our hearts, we love God. As we said, we offer our lives as sacrifices of love and thankfulness to God. And we endeavor to love the neighbor, whoever God places on our pathway, whoever needs our help. We love our neighbor with the same love of God in our hearts, a love to those unworthy, a love unconditional, in love We would give of ourselves and of our gifts when there is no possibility of being repaid. In that way, we demonstrate the love of God that we know from experience. How the scriptures point to the importance of love in the church. A church that does not manifest love is unfaithful to God, who is love. And to the Savior who in the greatest possible demonstration of love gave himself to that cruel and shameful death of the cross. Love, Jesus taught, is the notable mark of his disciples, those who would be called Christians. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. A threefold office of believer exists exactly that the church might flourish in the midst of the earth. 
How can this office then be used fruitfully? Apart from serving in the special offices in the church, minister, elder, deacon, what can one really do? Is it true that ordinary Christians are all not that important in the church? Of course, nothing can be further from the truth. In the office of believer, the manifestation of ourselves as Christians is expressed and must be expressed in fellowship and communion. It's important to emphasize that in this season which our Bible studies and societies resume, we see this exercise of the office, a believer in this way. The opportunity to profit mutually in sharing one's understanding of the scriptures. That implies our attendance at a society or Bible study, but it implies too that we take the time and make the time to prepare, to search the scriptures, comparing scripture with scripture, studying perhaps what others have written upon the passage, considering possible questions that can be raised that will help for fruitful discussion, possible answers that can be given with an interchange of ideas and thoughts, our mutual knowledge of the scriptures increases. Application of those scriptural truths is made for our mutual profit it's important also for you as young people. This office is used not only in the congregational activities, but there are so many opportunities to exercise the office of believer, to manifest ourselves as true Christians. There's frequently the need to Comfort and encourage one another. When death comes, God takes from another his or her lifelong mate. The encouragement of fellow saints is vital. Encouragement is needed not just at the moment, perhaps at the funeral home, but in the weeks and months that follow. When sickness comes, sometimes prolonged disease, sometimes fatal illness, Christians rally around such an individual and his family who face that trial to comfort and encourage also with good words from the scriptures and with prayer. Nothing lifts up the afflicted more than when they hear from God's word itself concerning the goodness, the faithfulness of God with his people. 
when problems and hardships arise, Christians find ways to help and direct each other through that time of difficulty. When sin is seen, Christians warn and admonish from the scriptures in humility and love. They do not rejoice in sin. They don't gossip about it. Rather, they follow the scriptural norm of seeking the repentance of the sinner. They don't ignore sin. They don't pretend that it's not there for the sake of the brother or sister. Every effort is put forth to lead in the way of true repentance. When occasions of joy are present, as Christians we rejoice together. Oh, how God also directs that his people may know the blessings of salvation. When covenant parents present their children for the sacrament of holy baptism, and our covenant young people are led to make public confession of their faith, as young men and young women are joined in holy marriage in the Lord, such occasions and many others, we rejoice together. And especially here and now, on the Lord's Day, in public worship, we are manifest as Christians. In the office of believer, we gather together to worship our God in his house of prayer We hunger and thirst after the preaching of the word. It's our joy for these times each week again on the Lord's Day to be assembled together to hear the word proclaimed, to sing the praises of our God and to apply ourselves in every aspect of our worship. It's our pleasure to Meditate together upon that word and consider this day. Its applications to our lives and calling. With all of this, there's the fact that as Christians, we have the opportunity and the high calling unto prayer. Earnestly. As Christians, we bring before our Heavenly Father's throne all the needs and cares of God's people. We pray concerning the sick and the afflicted. We speak to God with regard to the needs that we have as congregation. We bring before the throne of grace the needs of our good Christian schools express our thankfulness for them. We bring the needs of our own family and household. As priests, we make continual supplication to God for Christ's sake. But tomorrow, it's back for many to the workaday world. What do others around us say about us? God forbid that we would give occasion for others to cast shame upon the name of Christ. As Christians, we strive to show by word and deed 
our own blessed relationship with our God and Savior, to show our interest in the things that are spiritual, the things of the kingdom of heaven, in our concern for the church of Christ in the midst of this world and for our fellow children of God, even our faithfulness and diligence in our work show us to be citizens of the heavenly kingdom, Christians. How wonderful it is when God may give opportunities to speak to others of the wonder of his salvation. Nothing more beautiful than to be able to speak of the sovereignty of our God, the riches of his grace and mercy which are in Christ. Are we faithful in our calling as Christians, functioning in this great office of believer to the best of our ability? There are so many hindrances and distractions that we face from day to day in our busy, busy lives. Must take the time, make the time for those things that are spiritual. Perhaps we would minimize our own gifts and abilities to really serve in the office of believer as Christians. We all know other saints of God who appear to be so much more capable. They know how to speak well, to teach, how to comfort, warn, encourage. They're the ones that can seem to speak so easily and fluently at Bible study and contribute so intelligently. We are unable to do so. At least we tell ourselves that. Perhaps we deplore our own lack of ability and think there's really nothing that we can contribute. Be not deceived. Such is a very sad and sinful attitude. For are we not all partakers of Christ's anointing as his people? Consider your name. Christian. Consider your threefold office. God has called us from darkness into his marvelous light. Changed the very course of our lives. Given us the anointing of his son. We are prophets, priests, and kings of the living God. A more wonderful position there is not. A higher calling there cannot be in fulfilling our daily tasks to the best of our ability by the grace of God doing those things which our Heavenly Father requires of us. We are seeking to use our office properly. Let us then not waste our time nor our talents looking only unto others or waiting perhaps for some higher or more noble work to do, the labor 
is here and now. Jesus says, occupy till I come. By the grace of our God, let us consciously, actively live as Christians within the church and in all of our lives to his glory and the spiritual benefit of his church. May we be worthy bearers of that name, Christian. Amen. Most merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we come unto thee and we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee for that beautiful name, Christian, as partakers of the anointing of Christ by faith. And we pray for the work of the Spirit of Christ within us, that more and more it may be manifest in the midst of the congregation here and in all of our lives, young and old alike, that we are Christians to thy glory and praise. We ask it with the remission of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen.